The following lecture was delivered at the 8th Annual National Jewish Retreat, a project of the Roar Jewish Learning Institute. We hope you enjoy the lecture and encourage you to visit jretreat.com for information on upcoming retreats. Rabbi Shmuel Kaplan is the director of Chabad Lubavitch of the State of Maryland, overseeing its activities in more than 15 cities and towns. A noted Torah scholar and lecturer at the University of Maryland, he hosts a weekly radio program in the Washington, D.C. metro area and is the co-host of a weekly cable TV program. Rabbi Shmuel Kaplan is the chairman of JLI's advisory board, as well as a member of the executive committee of Merkos Lignone Chinuch at Chabad Lubavitch World Headquarters. He will now present a lecture entitled, The Call of the Shofar. Moses went up to the mountain a second time to ask for God's forbearance. And then he went up a third time. If you analyze the text in the Torah, you find that he went up three different times. The final time when he went up and came down, the day which he came down, in which God said, I forgive them as you have requested, was the day of Yom Kippur. So if Yom Kippur therefore became established as a day of atonement, it was because that's the day in which God atoned or forgave for the sin of the golden calf. But Moses was on the mountain then for 40 days. If we go back from that point, 40 days before Yom Kippur is Rosh Chodesh Elul, today. Month of Elul is 30 days. Yom Kippur is the 10th day of Tishrei. Together it's 40 days. So we have this 40-day period. When Moses went up on the mountain, what we read in the first time is they blew the shofar. When he went up and when he came down. So we have the blowing of the shofar historically on this day when Moses went up on the mountain to ask for forgiveness for the Jewish people. So that was the foundation, the basis on which the rabbis felt that it was appropriate to institute a custom of blowing the shofar starting from the day of first day of the month of Elul, so that we can remind ourselves of that and prepare. Because of that, Rosh Chodesh this year was, or every year, Elul is always the same, is two days. For those who are familiar, the extra Psalm 29 we began saying yesterday, but we didn't blow the shofar yesterday, we waited until today, even though yesterday was also Rosh Chodesh. The reason is because Moses didn't go up on the mountain until the first day of the month, which was today. So we don't blow yesterday, we wait until today. So, we're going to be talking about the blowing of the shofar, and I thought it was so appropriate, since this is the first day, that that's the subject matter that we should deal with. So we know what we do. You come to shul, and someone knows what he's doing, and blows the shofar. Why do we do this thing? The do's and do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do. Where, where does that come from? Who, who came up with this, with this idea that you got to blow three sets, this blowing, that blowing, we stand, we sit. Where did that come from? Ah, the rabbis, they made, you know, you know, the rabbis, they had nothing to do. So they said, oh, do it this, do that. The rabbis, to keep everybody busy. Not to keep people busy. The main thing is, because if we didn't do all of these things, what would the rabbis get paid for? So this way, the rabbis, like lawyers, make laws to keep, give themselves business. You know, the, the Lawyer Welfare Act. Rabbis make laws to... Uh, Give themselves business, yeah. We are going to study 
the subject here is how the rabbis extracted from the Torah what the blowing of the shofar is supposed to be. So even though when Moses had got the oral law, he told them generally what it's supposed to be, but there's always got to be a way that it can be extracted from the Torah. Because for all generations, Moses gave us a Torah and said, this is it. So even if you don't remember what happened last year, you can extract it from here. There's a famous uh, joke that they tell about a synagogue. A fellow walks into a strange synagogue. And what are they doing? They're arguing and fighting and shouting and screaming. He goes, what's going on? He said, what's happening? He said, we don't know. We, do we sit for this or do we stand for this? They're saying sitting and I say no. And no, there's a war. He said, I don't understand you people. Why don't you do exactly what we did last year? Well, you gotta, we got to fight over it. He says, that's what we're doing. <laughs> so we don't want to fight over these things. We want to see how the rabbis showed us that with proper analysis of the verses of the Torah, we come to the conclusion of what we have to do on the day of Rosh Hashanah. Because Rosh Hashanah, over and above everything else, mitzvahs hayom. What is the essential mitzvah of the day of Rosh Hashanah? Is the blowing of the shofar. Well, blowing a little, you, you can't listen unless someone blows it. So blowing of the shofar, although the mitzvah is to hear at least someone blow, you don't have to blow yourself. But that's the core. If you want to know what the day is about, shofar is the day. So if somebody can't get to shul, okay, you can't get to shul, you can't get to shul, what should you do? Do the mitzvah, which is the shofar. That's the day. So besides observe, observing it as a holy convocation, which means a prohibition of doing work, it is to blow the shofar. So we're going to analyze the Torah and understand what we do and where we got it from. That's the subject matter. Go to it, study it, and know it. The test starts in 20 minutes. Pardon? Yeah, so I've given you a series of verses and then the Talmud which follows it. Now, uh, now that I've looked at it, I notice that there's one verse missing. We will have to try and fill in for that. Um, but read the verses, and then the, the Talmud starts, starting from page 4, um, the mission on the bottom of page 3. All right. So the first thing I want you to understand is, so you always thought it was easy? Now you know what we struggle with. Give us our due. The Talmud isn't easy for many reasons. First of all, we are accustomed to having everything laid out before us. Every, every drop of the thought has to be put into another sentence, and we put it into sentences and paragraphs, and it's all nicely structured so that you can go through it and follows as the JLI textbook is today, right? You have the JLI textbook. The Talmud is pre-JLI. So the Talmud has a whole different system, and most of this was originally oral. The Mishnah was given to us orally because it's part of the oral law. In order to have effective teaching, it had to be concise. 
So the, the Mishnah says, Teach them brevity. So that a student went away with a couple of lines and could use that as the foundation to remember everything else that was explained in the lecture. Because the objective is to walk away and to know it. When they committed it to memory, you know how they did it? They repeated it 100 times. So when it says the Mishnah, at the bottom of page 3, those few lines of the Mishnah, a student would study 100 times in order to commit it to memory. And some would do it even more. So the orders of the Mishnah, our sages, the sages of the Talmudic time already, knew it like that. They could sit in a moment and go through all of the six orders of the Mishnah. You know, zoom. Ram memory. That's where they had it. And we, we have seen, we see rabbis, scholars of previous generations that could do that with the entire Talmud. All volumes of the Talmud, they could go in one instant, go through it, and you say, uh, I'm looking for such and such and such. Yep, it's there. And that's where it was. Because they worked from their youth on acquiring it in memory. Now, what happens, of course, is when it's very brief, you've got to start analyzing it in order to extract what it says. And without precise analysis, you lose 90% of what's there. So the Mishnah is the precision law, and the Talmud is how the rabbis discussed it to show all of the complexity that's in the Mishnah. That's what we're, that's what we're trying to do. So we're, we're looking at it from our modern times, and we're looking at these brief few words. I mean, is the word this way, worded that way, the letter, the word before this, before... What, what, what are you doing? What, what kind of analysis is this? No, that's, that's the, what it was meant to be. You couldn't do it to any modern writing. But you can do it to the Mishnah writing because that's the way it was intended to be. So the Mishnah is, put it in perspective. Moses came down from the mountain and he said, I got for you a Torah with 613 commandments. And one of the commandments is you should put on tefillin. And it says it in the Torah. You shall bind a sign on your arm and a frontlet between your eyes. You do it every morning. Okay, so what's a sign? I don't know. Potato? What are you supposed to do there with a sign? It doesn't say what. So Moses came down and said, Gentlemen, listen up. Put a sign on your arm. You got to assume there was one guy that raised his hand and said, What's a sign? And you've got to assume that Moses had an answer. Well, the truth of the matter is, what was Moses doing on the mountain for 40 days? Moses was a pretty bright guy. A Rhodes Scholar, no less. And he had a good teacher. God himself. Now, how long does it take to get through the, the first five books of Moses? He didn't even have the five books, he only had the first two. One and a half, actually. How long did it take you to get through one and a half books? He did nothing else. He said, I didn't eat. 
I didn't drink, I didn't sleep. So 24 hours, 40 days, that's all he could get through is Breshit and part of Exodus. The answer was that Moses also had the same questions of God. God said the mitzvah fill in. So Moses said, and what is it? It's a sign. What's a sign? And God told him, this is what it means. This is the sign. And you want to know how you can derive it from the Torah? I'll show you how you do that too. If you look at the word this way, look at the word that way, you'll realize what it is. So when Moses came down and told the Jewish people, he said, gentlemen, this is what it is. You had the question, what is it? This is what it is. And that's the way he spent 40 years in the desert of Moses teaching the Jewish people the oral law. And the oral law simply means the practical application of the 613 commandments. How you observe each one of them. The Talmud, the Mishnah first, wrote down all of those laws. Why did they write it? It's oral law. Why was it written? Because people were not able to maintain all of it in their minds. Rabbi Huda Nasser, Rabbi Judah, the prince, was concerned at that time that people were forgetting. And although people had their own personal notes, there was no authoritative record. So he took the bold step of establishing an authoritative record of the oral law. That's what the Mishnah was. And so for 500 years, that's what they were engaged in. They reviewed the Mishnah, they studied the Mishnah, and memorized the Mishnah. But then things became tough when they get disputes about what exactly did it mean, which rabbi said what, how did we interpret this, how did we actually get to this? And then for another 500 years, the rabbis were explaining the Mishnah. 250 years, excuse me. 250 years, the rabbis were explaining the Mishnah to their students in their academies. At the end of those 250 years, they wrote it down. They reviewed it over a number of years and wrote down an authoritative record of the interpretation of the Mishnah. That's what we call the Gemara or the Talmud. And that's what we have till this day. Now we have commentaries on top of commentaries on top of commentaries that have gone on throughout the ages. But that's what we're studying now. We're studying those records that were put down at that time. So we have the Mishnah, in which the Mishnah says, so you want to read the Mishnah on the bottom of page uh, three? A volunteer. <clears throat> the order of the class consists of three sets of three eats. The length of a tekiah is equal to three teruahs. And the length of a teruah to three yavavos. Mm -hmm. If one blew the first tekiah as usual and prolonged the second so as to make it equal to two, it counts only as one. If one has said the nine blessings and then procures a shofar, he sounds a tekiah, teruah, tekiah, three. Skip the next line because that's that dropped in there by computer or something or other, but that doesn't belong there. The congregational reader is under obligation, so every individual is under obligation. Rabban Gamaliel, however, says that the congregational reader clears the whole congregation of their obligation. Okay. 
So let's start with the beginning. I want to go back first, and we're going to do the verses in the Torah, and then we'll come back to this Mishnah. The Mishnah tells us that there is an order, which is that we have to have three sets of three blasts. Keep that in mind. There are three sets, and each set has three. Now we got to know why. The Torah says what? Why do we get three sets of three? That's the question that we have. Now, how we end up with what we exactly blow is another story. But the basic issue that we need to understand is, the Mishnah says there is an obligation. The obligation is not fulfilled unless you have three sets of three. Where do you get that from? Who said so? So that's what we're going to read. There are th- actually four verses, and they, they put in, a, again, I apologize, it was sent to me, and I really didn't look it over uh, closely enough, because there are three verses. The fourth verse is the wrong one that they put in there. So if you had trouble understanding why it was there, good. <laughs> and if you spent all your time, that's also good, because part of the learning process is to get stuck and to try and figure out what in the world is this doing here? Can it have a meaning here? That's a learning process. So the Torah talks about the blowing of the shofar. There are four different verses in the entire Torah. The first one is Leviticus in the portion that deals with all the holidays. David of Israel speaks to the Jewish people, Lamer, tell them the following. In the seventh month, in the first day of the month, Shabbaton, it shall be a day of rest, the Shabbos. Zichroin Trua, a remembrance to a Trua, Mikra Kodesh, a holy convocation. What jumps out about that verse? Zichron Trua. The Torah doesn't say blow the thing. It says a remembrance to a Trua. What's that supposed to mean? What is a remembrance to a Trua? When you remember something, it means you're not actually doing it. You're only remembering that it should be done or was done or something or other. Obviously, the Torah is trying to teach us something with that term. The question is what? The next verse. Now, the next verse is not talking about Rosh Hashanah at all. It's talking about a different blowing of the shofar. Because there's another commandment to blow the shofar, which is the shofar that's blown on Yom Kippur, right? But no, that's not what it is. Because you're thinking about the blowing of the shofar at the big tkia at the end of the service. Right? On Yom Kippur. And the service says, that's a custom. What the Torah is talking about, the jubilee year. On the 50th year is a jubilee. The word jubilee comes from the word yovel. The yud is converted to a J in the English. Like Yosef is Joseph. 
So Yovel is the Jubilee. That's why you have a Jubilee year means the 50th year. What happened on the Jubilee year? So the Torah says on the Jubilee, Jubilee year, you shall carry over. What is Havarta? Lahavir means to carry, right? Carry over. What is it supposed to mean? What do you carry? Do you carry around a shofar? Walk around holding a shofar? What is it supposed to mean? But it says, Havarta shofar trua. You shall carry over a shofar with the sound of a trua. Huh? Does that make sense at all? The seventh month, we understand that. Also, the tenth of the day. Redundant. Does anybody not know that Yom Kippur comes on the seventh month? The Torah has said it ten times. So here it tells us, seventh month, tenth day, Yom Kippur. You have to remember, this comes after the Torah has told us a whole, a whole story about Yom Kippur. In, this, in a portion of Achrimos, the Torah gives us the order of the service and all the details. Everything is spelled out. Then it's repeated again in the portion of Emor. And finally here in, in uh, Bahar, the Torah says, oh, I've got to tell you, Yom Kippur is in the seventh month or the tenth day of the seventh month. No, thank you. Why, why that redundancy? And then the Torah says, no, we're not finished yet. Taviru. You're going to carry it again. We're going, we're going back to this carrying business. Taviru, shofar, you shall carry the shofar. Chol all of your land. Incomprehensible. There's obviously a lot of things the Torah is trying to say here with the nuance of words that we're not getting. The third verse. Now the third verse is not even talking about a holiday. It's talking about the Jewish people traveling in the desert. And it says, Uskatem trua, you shall blow a trua. Shane is a second time, but mona, those who are in the east shall travel. Trua yiskolamasehem, a trua shall be blown for their travels. Uvahakiles hakol, when you gather the congregation, which is a whole nother thing, not traveling, but gathering. Tisko uvalaisariu. You shall blow, but you shall not do the trua. What does that tell us now? You blow, but not a trua. What do I learn from that? It's two different things. There is a blowing, and there is a trua. And the two are not synonymous. The, uh, the verse that's missing here is the verse from... Um, Numbers. On the seventh month, on the first of the month, it shall be a holy convocation to you. You shall not do any gainful work. A day of trua it shall be for you. What would jump out at you from this? Before it said, Zichron trua. A remembrance to a trua. Here it says, ah, here it says straightforward, yom trua. No, no, it's a day of trua. So why did he say zichron trua before? So when we look at the Torah, 
the, the, our rabbis, the rabbis of the Mishnah of the Talmud, say, okay, now let's take all of these verses that we are dealing with, which are obviously coming to say much more than it would seem on the surface, and let's figure out how we synthesize all of these verses into one conceptual idea. That's what this piece of the Talmud does. That's what the objective is. And as a result of that, we will understand what the Mishnah said, that there are three sets of three. Is that clear? Pardon? As? As mud. We didn't even start the study yet, you know. <laughs> so, uh, just for, for clarity, but it's a little aside, I'm not going to deal with that, not going to deal with this part of the Mishnah. When it says, just as the congregation reader is under obligation, it's not talking about the shofar. It's talking about the verses that have to be said about shofar. Which we say in the Musaf service. The Musaf service is made up of nine blessings. Like we have the Amida, the Shemona Esrei, which is 18 blessings. On a Shabbat or a holiday, it's contracted or to seven or to nine. So in Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur, the Musaf is three opening, three closing, which is standard all the time, and three in the middle. That's how we get this nine. That's what the nine means here. Okay? So it's a secondary issue of whether you're obligated to actually say it or can the uh, cantor or the shliach tzibur say it on behalf of everybody. But that's not really germane to what we are discussing. It is discussed here, but not later on. So we need to understand how we get to all of this. Let's look on the um, bottom part of page four. Our rabbis taught. Whence? Wow, when's the last time you saw the word whence? From where do we know that the blowing on the new year must be with a shofar? Because it says you shall make proclamation with a shofar teruah. Okay? Clear. The first verse doesn't say what a shofar is. The same use a shofar at all. It says, Zichron Trua, remembrance to a Trua. Trua means a sound, a certain sound. We'll soon get to what a Trua is, a certain sound. But the Torah doesn't say blow with a shofar. Where does it say a shofar? So therefore, we say, no, 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 there's a verse that says that. There's a verse that clearly says you shall make a proclamation with a shofar trua. Where is that? That's the verse, the second verse that we were talking about. Shofar trua. So we know from here that the trua has to be the product of a shofar. That's an important lesson, right? You can't just assume it because you walked into the synagogue and someone had the shofar. Say, okay, that's what we do. No, no, where, where do you know it? There's where the Torah says it. That's the only place the Torah says it, yeah. 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 <laughs> but you see what happens with the translation. 
I mean, they put it there because otherwise they, they would say, you know, you don't, you don't know what it's talking about. So it's taken out of a chumash where that's going to be. It's, it's a whole different area. Let's talk about the Jubilee year. When it talks about the, the true of the Jubilee year, there the Torah says, it's a shofar is what we do this blowing with. What we also now see is a very important thing, is a foundation that there is an association between these various verses. The Torah didn't just simply come out and say, here is Rosh Hashanah guides, A, B, C, D, do it this way. The Torah gave us one verse here and one verse there, added a little note there, a little note there, and then says, we know they're related. And you know how I, how I can prove to you they're related? Because if you don't relate them, you don't know what you should blow with. And if you don't know what you should blow with, you can't blow. If you would only take the first verse and say, a remembrance of blowing, or even blowing, blow a sound. Hello? What do you want me to do? What sound? When sound? Where, what? Blow what? So obviously, once we look in the Torah, and we find there is only one other place where it identifies the shofar as the instrument which we use to blow, it's, it not just teaches us about the fact that on Rosh Hashanah it's also a shofar. It shows us that Torah means to relate these two events. That the blowing of the shofar on the Jubilee year, that's it. We didn't get started yet. Okay. I got the five minute warning. The trap door opens in five minutes. The JLI is serious. If you don't get off here in time, the hook comes out, you know. Okay, so what we all, what we've immediately seen now is that the Torah says, I gave you a shofar blowing on Rosh Hashanah and a shofar blowing on the Jubilee year, which happens only once every 50 years. Nevertheless, these are associated. These are not two different events. Take these verses together and you'll begin to understand what I'm talking about. Another association, which I'm going to go through a little bit quickly so we can get something out of it. Both cases, the Torah says, Bachodesh Hashvi on the seventh month. That is a common word, which is one of the means by which we relate matters in the Torah, called the Gzeira Shava. Somebody asked me before what that means. When there's a common word, we have to look and see, is it just a common word, or is there a commonality between the subjects? Shava is one of the ways that Moses told us we understand the Torah. We unlock the Torah with this little key. One of the keys. There are 13 keys. But it's only by tradition. You can't walk along and say, oh, it says, Daber, speak, and it says speak here and speak there. All the speaks are interrelated. No, you can't do that. Only where there is a tradition that says these two words are related. Then you turn the key and you open up the matter. So we have that relationship of shvi, shvi, which tells us that there's going to be a commonality here. So we have learned there is a trua and a tkia, which are two different sounds. Now we go back to that Baha'avarta in the, the nine, the Leviticus one. It says you shall carry it or pass it. And then it says at the end, you know, ta'aviru. 
Two words of that passage. You know what that means? Ta'aviru? As opposed to a trua, which is a chopped up sound, a broken sound. There has to be a ta'avir, a plain, continuous sound. It doesn't mean carry. It means go straight through on a sound. A one long sound. But it says it, Vahavarta, before it says shofar, and then it says at the end of the verse, after you've done it, ta'aviru. So what does it tell us? There has to be a sound before, and there has to be a sound afterwards. And then there's a trua in between. So now the Torah has taught us that there is a set. The set for Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, the Jubilee year, as opposed to the, in the desert, which is numbers is that it has to be a simple sound, a complex sound, and a simple sound. That's a set. That's one set. Now we have to know, well, why do we get three sets out of that point? So we're still with one set, but now we're going to do it three times. So the Talmud is going to show us from the relationship of these two, because there is Rosh Hashanah and there is Jubilee and we make them, they're not distinct events. They're like Torah teaching us what a shofar blowing is. Once we know what a shofar blowing is, we apply it to Rosh Hashanah and we apply it to Yom Kippur of the Jubilee year. So the Torah is teaching us about a set. What is the concept of the shofar? But it divides it between two different events, the one of Rosh Hashanah and the one of Yom Kippur of the Jubilee. When we bring them together, we will have the three times, the three sets of three that we are familiar with from the Mishnah of why we blow nine. What can I say? We didn't even start. I'm just getting warmed up. Come back again.